This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. And so if you brought your Bible or you brought a device with a Bible on it, we uh, took every book out of the room and we made sure there's nothing for you to touch in here. We are going to continue. So you'll have to either have brought your own Bible or click through on your device to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is where we're going to be, verses 15 and 16. These verses are great verses for our times. The days we've come through, I don't think it's any stretch to say are the strangest that we've ever experienced, at least as an entire society, and the days ahead are no more certain. So how are we going to keep going? How do we keep moving forward as individuals? How do we keep moving forward as a society? Hebrews 12 says to lift our drooping heads and strengthen our weakened knees. How do we do that? We might think that the way forward is to have hard work and ingenuity and a strength of American character or make a resolve to never quit, and those are all fine things, I suppose. But we want to look to God's word for truth. We want to look to God's word for our instruction. And Romans 8 gives a different answer than hard work and refusing to quit. Here we learn that it's not even us at all who begins the work of strengthening us, our weak knees and and lifting our drooping heads, but it's God who will do that through us and for us. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't strengthen us through some far off and from some far off and distant place. So he kind of just looks down at us mere mortals and says, Well, here we go again. You've screwed it up. I'm annoyed, but I'll help you one more time. He doesn't even do that, Romans 8 says, from next to us, but he does that from inside of us. He indwells the Christian believer. And so for everybody who is in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And that's what Romans 8 promises. So let's read a couple of verses together, and then we'll pray, and we'll study. Romans 8, verses 15 and 16, read along with me. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I'm just going to stop there for today and ask you to join me in a word of prayer. God, may we not fall back into a spirit of slavery and fear, but may we look to the days that we are currently in and move toward the future as those who have been called sons and daughters of you. May we see the great gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And may we learn and be assured by the Spirit who lives inside of us. Give us a greater understanding of your grace. Help us now to see these things. May they land softly on our hearts, we pray. Pray for my friends in the room and those who are watching online. We're grateful for all that we have and all that you've given us. Amen. Well, if you look in your Bible or at your Bible, verse 15 is the third sentence in a row that begins the same way, most likely in the translation that you're looking at in Greek. 
uh, verses 12 and 13 are actually one sentence. But as you look at these things, when you see something happening multiple times, repetition is a clue to key in on something when you are studying the Bible. So verses 13, 14, and 15 all tell us in a way that uses repetition what the first part of chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, were laying out. Verses 1 to 11 tell us that where we used to be natural, fleshly people, those who are in Christ have become a spiritual, supernatural type of people. It's no longer our flesh, that's what Paul calls it, that defines us. And that's a way of saying our former life, ruled by sin. Now, for those who are in the Spirit, we have a new life. It's a new way of being defined. It's the indwelling of the Spirit that characterizes those who are in Christ. And our future, it says, has moved from where we were once in death. Now our future is life. And that's not just sometime when we die, but our present has moved from a kind of slavery into freedom. And that's all really, really good news. Romans 8 is full of really good news. It's the kind of good news that changes everything about the trajectory of, of my life and of your life. It changes what's important to us. It changes how we approach the future. And it changes how we process our fears and our worries and our doubts. And if you are anything like me, you'll hear that and you'll be encouraged by it, but you'll also want to know, well, how can this be? And how can I know for sure that I have it? And that's what we get in Romans 8, an explanation of how does this happen and how can we be sure that we have it? I want to start in verse 14 because that statement is crucial and it kind of gets us going on where we're keying in on 15 and 16 this morning. So including verse 14, there are three statements in these verses that assure us that God loves us and that he's connected us to him, that we're in relationship with him. Let me just give them to you. Verse 14 says that we are led by God. We can be sure of our relationship with God when we see his leadership in our lives. Verse 15 says that God embraces us in an intimate kind of way. We can be sure that God has connected us to him and we feel a little bit of intimacy with him. And then verse 16 says that God fills us to the depths of our being. We can know that God loves us when we feel as though he, we have been changed by him. And so we know God's love in these three verses because he leads us, he embraces us, and he fills us. Leading, embracing, filling. So let's look then at verse 14. Let me just read it again. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Now, if, if you are here this morning and then you were outside last week, we were in the parking lot. In the previous few verses of Romans 8, we talked about putting our sin to death, or what Christians have historically called mortifying sin in the flesh. 
verse 14 is a continuation of how mortification works. The way that God deepens our relationship with him is to lead us in putting more and more sin to death and enjoying greater fulfillment in him. Verse 13 says that life by the flesh is death, but the spirit will show us how to put the flesh to death, and so we live. This is how this works. So now, in verse 14, we see that this is God, God leads us to do this. God leads us to put to death the flesh and live by the Spirit. Practically, the way that God does this, it comes in a number of ways. Uh, first, God shows us sometimes just through basic and clear instruction how to put sin to death. There are commands all over the Bible about how God would want us to live, and sometimes those commands are really direct. So God will tell us that being a liar and a cheater will destroy your relationships with other people. So don't lie and don't cheat. He tells us that addictions will enslave you. So don't become addicted to things like too much wine or to gossip or things like that because they will become little gods to us. He tells us that focusing and desiring the things that others have over what God has given us will only leave us bitter. So don't be covetous. Those are simple instructions. So sometimes the way that God's going to do this is he's going to put his finger on things in our life and he's going to say, this is the flesh. Give it over to the spirit. And he's going to say, then this thing is flesh. Let's, instead of live naturally, let's live supernaturally. So he's going to put his finger on these things and sometimes he's going to do that really directly. He's just going to simply say, here's command, here's instruction, don't do these things. They're not good for you and they will destroy you and those around you. Other times, he's going to let us have the things that we think we want. He's going to let those things run their course a little bit. So have you ever had an experience where there was something you wanted so badly that if you were honest with yourself, you probably let it take way too much of your energy and your emotion and your time. And when you got it, the thrill of having it only lasted for a little while. And not much really changed. What you thought would be joy and fulfillment and satisfaction only turned into a few moments of temporary pleasure, a few days, few weeks. Or worse yet, have you ever gotten something that you really wanted and it actually turned out to be bad for you and harmful to you and it had bad consequences for you? Those are other ways that God leads. There are other ways that he allows us. Hebrews calls it a kind of discipline. He allows us to have the things that we chase after so that we will really learn that they have little value. The 5th century theologian Augustine wrote a, a book about that he called Confessions after he had chased many of the temporary things the world tries to offer thinking they would satisfy him. And there he says for a long time he ignored the Spirit's leadership. He compared knowing God to, to being in love. Love keeps our priorities clear. 
When you are in love, you devote your time and you devote your resources and everything you are to the thing that you love. Augustine realized that the Spirit leads us to love God, and in doing that, the Spirit leads us to put to death the things of the flesh because we love the things of God more. And so let me just ask you this. Do you feel a kind of longing or a kind of love for the things of God and to love him more fully? Do you feel a love for God, a desire to be closer to him? Do you care about what he cares about, to have intimacy with him? If you do, Romans 8 says that is an indication of the Spirit's work in your life. There is nothing in our natural selves that wants God. In fact, apart from the Spirit, it says that we want nothing to do with Him. But when He he opens our spiritual eyes to His love, to His grace, and when we desire to grow in Him, that is in itself evidence that God's Spirit is at work inside of us. And so if you wonder, you say, I don't know if I have God's spirit, ask yourself whether you want to know more of God, whether you love him. If you do, that's that's God prompting you. Even your desire for God is a gift from God. Now, on the flip side of that, I would just ask you very gently. If I say, do you want the things of God? And your truthful answer is, you know, I just don't care that much. I wonder if the Spirit of God is at at work inside of you because the Spirit of God leads us to love God. He leads us to want more of Him. And so do you want more of the things of God? If you do, and if you wonder, well, do I have the Spirit? You have the Spirit if you want more of the things of God. He will give you the desires of your heart when the desire of your heart is more of Him. The second way that God assures us is that he brings us into a really special relationship with himself. So first he leads, second he embraces us in an intimate relationship. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now I have two daughters, one biological, one adopted and i love them both the same but here's what i know about my adoption and my biological daughter my adopted daughter we're all humans we're all humans and so the love that i have might not be the same kind of love that god has and so what i wanted to do is i wanted to read back through the book of romans to see where else paul uses this phrase the one we just saw in verse 14 where he calls us sons of god and that would mean daughters too. Now there's only one time in the book of Romans where he uses this before. It's in the greeting when he says that Jesus Christ was powerfully declared to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. And as I read that, I thought, well, that makes sense. It makes sense to me why God the Father would call Jesus his son. Not only Is he part of the Godhead, the Trinity? Our God is triune. So not only is he from God, but Jesus Christ was perfect. 
And when he died on the cross, he did that as a representative for all humanity. So that title, Son of God, I get that for Jesus. But to call you and me sons of God, daughters of God, that's hard for me to get a handle on. Yet that's what he does. And he does it not like a father trying to instill fear in his children, but as a tender father showing his children love. The Bible actually says that God loves you with the same love that he has for Jesus when we're in him. That's because he's adopted you as a son or daughter. And good adoptive parents don't show favoritism. So did you know that if you are in Christ, God loves you with the same kind of love that he has for his only son, Jesus? You actually see that in the way that it says the spirit inside of us teaches to cry out. Abba is an Aramaic word. It's the word, one of the words that children would use to call their fathers. And it's what Jesus called his father on the night before he died in the, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was there praying and he cried out, Abba, Father. And so what Paul is doing is he is connecting the way that Jesus reached out to God and he is saying that we can have that same kind of intimacy. We can reach out to God in the same way that Jesus felt comfortable reaching out because we can be sure that our Heavenly Father loves us in the same way and longs to hear from us just like he longs to hear from his son, Jesus. In the synagogues, in the first century, when the scriptures were read and the reader came to the name of God, Yahweh, they would substitute another name when they were reading out loud. And they did that because they feared taking the name of God in vain and so being punished for that. Jesus showed us that we don't need to do that. We can pray to God like he is a father listening to a beloved child. This is how the Lord's Prayer begins. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. Nobody prayed like that before Jesus. Jesus is teaching us a new way to pray. And the reason he's teaching us a new way to pray is because we have the Holy Spirit who allows us and welcomes us and invites us to pray in a different way because the Spirit gives us intimacy with God. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so this is another sign of assurance that we can come close to God and God showed us how to do that by sending Jesus and, giving, and using Jesus as an example of how to come close to him. We come close to God through the example of Jesus and now by his death on the cross, we come close to God through the mercy and by the blood of Jesus. I've known Christians who were afraid to pray. They were afraid because they thought they had too much sin or they, they thought they wouldn't do it right. Sometimes it's hard for a person who has a troubled relationship 
with their biological father to think of God as a father whom they can pray to. Folks, I want you to know that God is a good father. He is a kind and patient and understanding God. He invites us to come. And again, I want to say this part gently because I I know that people carry a lot of baggage and and I want to make sure you're not confusing past wounds and hurts with a lack of true salvation. So I want to say this gently. But verse 15 says that when we have the Spirit, we won't fall back into fear. If you are afraid of God, I need to gently ask, do you have the Spirit? People who have the Spirit won't be afraid of God. If you do, you shouldn't be afraid of Him. And let me just, again, qualify this because I know that some people come in with a lot loaded on their shoulders. They've had bad experiences with religion. They've had bad earthly fathers. And so if your fear isn't as much actual fear as it is just confusion that you can come, that God welcomes sinners to come, if it's not so much confusion over what a father is like because you didn't have a good earthly father, I want you to know that maybe all you need is a little prompting. I think you have the Spirit if you desire to come to God. But if you are truly afraid of God, maybe your next step is to say to God, I want your Spirit, which you give freely and abundantly because I've been afraid of you and I don't want to be afraid of you anymore. If you're afraid of God, ask Him for His Spirit because His Spirit will cast out that fear and will invite you into intimate relationship. Now, if you're just confused that you can come to God, you think it's, it's too much sin, my past is too dark, God doesn't, won't accept me for what I've done, I, I'm, I'm not a very good Christian, I won't do the right things. Let me just tell you, there's no such thing. God wants you to come. He invites you to come. All who have the Spirit are His children, and good fathers delight when their children come to them. Those with the Spirit won't stay afraid. So God warmly welcomes. He delights when you come. Receive the Spirit and come to God without fear. He leads. He embraces intimately. And finally, verse 16. He fills us deeply. Verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the third assurance we get is a deep filling of God. Now this is mysterious, but when we see it and when we learn to sense it, it is among the most powerful and beautiful gifts that God gives us. And the reason is, if verse 15 is about how we are told that we can reach out to God, that like my little toddler daughter reaches up to me, if if we're told in verse 15 we can reach out to God, verse 15 assures us that God will reach back, that God will bend down to us. And the reason that this is the best one, I think, of all three is because when we wonder, how can we know that we are God's children and how can we know that God loves us? God answers us by saying, you don't need to know an argument or a formula. 
You don't need to have a theological degree. You can just know that I do because I'm going to tell you that I love you and I'm going to put that into the deepest parts of you. Now, yesterday, I finished this sermon sitting on my patio. It was beautiful outside yesterday. It's beautiful outside this morning. A cool breeze is blowing, barely a cloud in the sky. And I thought to myself that asking a Christian to tell you (coughs) how they know, (coughs) excuse me, asking a Christian to tell you how they know that God loves them is a little bit like asking somebody to tell you how they know it's really nice outside right now. I could tell you about all the environmental factors. I could give you reasons. But in the end, I don't think it's my reasons that will convince you it's a perfect day outside. You just know that 70 degrees, sunny, and a little breezy is perfect weather. And I'm not describing some kind of secret inner knowledge. You don't have to be a meteorologist to know all about barometric pressure to know that it's nice outside right now. You just can go outside and see that it's gorgeous. And it's a great day for everybody. You don't need to be a super Christian or a learned theologian to know the personal touch of God. He gives that freely to all the people who are alive through his spirit, just like he gives a perfect day to everybody. Everybody who's in Christ receives the personal and deep filling of God's spirit. And the way we receive that is by faith. We put our, our faith in Christ, the first son of God, so that we might become sons and daughters of God. God is a triune God. His spirit is, is not separate from him. That's why Romans calls it the spirit of Christ. And Galatians says that it is God the Father who sends the spirit of his son into our hearts. So we receive the spirit, his leading, his intimacy, and his filling when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just faith for faith's sake, but faith in Christ. That's why the Gospel of John says that to all who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. So do you, do you believe in God? Do you believe in him? If you do, I hope that you experience some sense of fellowship with him that you experience some sense of deep satisfaction in him, that you know that he loves you in an intimate way and that he will lead you into greater depth of life with him. Because those are all promises that he gives to every person who is in Christ. If you feel that, be encouraged today. Like the sun is warm on our skin, feel the warm embrace and love of God. And folks, if you, don't, if you don't, know that it can be yours by asking for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, by giving your sin over to him, repenting of it, and trusting in Christ. When we are his, we receive his spirit, all of the spirit, a full measure of the spirit. There isn't something more of it that we need, and it's for every Christian.
not just the ones who we think are the really, really good ones. We are led by the Spirit. The Spirit gives us intimacy with God, and we are filled, fulfilled by the Spirit. Let's pray together. God, may we know your grace through the Spirit that lives inside of us. I pray for my friends in the room, those watching online. If anybody who can hear my voice doesn't know the warmth of the Spirit like the sun on a warm day, I pray that you will help them, whether it's confusion over a former life or because of things that have happened to them and wounds they carry, or whether it truly is that they do not have the Spirit inside of them. Would you be gracious to them and kind to them to lead them to call out to you for salvation and for life, both in these days and in the days to come forever. You are a wonderful and kind and merciful Father. Thank you for sending your Son, for sacrificing him, so that you would love us with that same kind of love that you have for him. What a gift, what a joy, what a grace. Thank you in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Savior Evangelical Free Church is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about what these words mean, visit our website at osefc.org.